1: you could take Charles Oakley, right?
0: Well, I don't know about Oak, but Oak's <laughs> coaching. Yeah. I'd rather have Oak on my side. You know, I was talking to another friend of mine, uh, you guys remember Nazi Mohammed oh, and, yeah. uh, and, yeah. and Gerald Henderson. So both those guys still live in Charlotte, so you know we we talk quite a bit and get a chance to hang out, and uh, we were saying, Hey man, all we need is a point guard, we'd we'll be good to hey, go. Hey, so,
1: Bobcat's you, big three. I like it. Let's let's <laughs> that's, that's, you let's, never know. let's suit it never up. Know.
2: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network,
0: your team every day. In a minute, we live. We live. we live.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Hornets. I'm Doug Branson, joined on the phone by David Walker, and we welcome in on the Locked On Hornets line, Matt Carroll. Matt is a color analyst for WFNZ's coverage of the Charlotte Hornets, and of course, Matt played for the franchise as a member of the Charlotte Bobcats from 2005 until 2009, and then again from 2010 until 2013. Matt, thanks for joining us.
0: Uh, Happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: So the schedule is out. We've had some time to dive into its ins and outs, its intricacies. What are your early impressions of the hand that the scheduling computers have dealt to the Hornets this season?
0: Well, I think my first thought is the season's starting early. (laughs) You know. When I think of uh, mid-October, I'm thinking of uh, playoff baseball, a little bit of football, college and NFL, which I'll be watching, Uh, paying close attention to my Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So um, to be starting that early, uh, I think in the year is a bit of a surprise from a guy who played in the NBA for a while. So uh, I understand the logic of it, trying to eliminate the back-to-back and the clutter of games to try to make sure the superstars are not sitting, but it's a bit of a surprise to me, but overall, I think it's going to be for a better product in the NBA, uh, less back-to-backs as players. You know, a back-to-backs are just really hard and difficult on the body, especially when you're traveling on the road for a long road trip. So um, I like the schedule. You know, those are my first thoughts just early on. We can get into more detail with it, but I, I think overall, it looks pretty good. Uh, you have usual suspects coming in town with the big games, and we can talk more about that, But, but overall, I'm pretty happy with it.
1: Now, Matt, you were a former player. So, what what did you do with that time in between the preseason and the start of the regular season? That seems to have been cut down uh, to get rid of some of those back to backs and four and five nights.
0: Yeah, you know, I think uh, you know that that time mid October, you're almost getting into to to good shape. And I think nowadays, when I first started back, it was 2003 and four. I was in uh, Portland, San Antonio. And obviously, uh, San Antonio had a very good team the next year. They won a world championship. Um, but guys are already in good shape. I mean, I don't think many guys in the NBA or many players can afford to take much time and, and get out of shape like maybe they did years ago. You have to be in great shape. Your off seasons are so big. And now, you know, with the amount of resources you have and and most players are sticking around their, this entire summer with the organizations and, and working with the coaches and the trainers and nutritionists and everything else. So guys are ready to roll at that point. And I think when you get to mid-October, you're tired of playing preseason games. You know, you want to start playing the real thing. And especially when you're one of the main guys on a team, those guys are like, let's get this thing going. But what it does at that time, it gives players who maybe are not on a team, who are trying to make a team. And early on, obviously, I was a fringe guy. So it gives you some more exposure, some more opportunity to show that, hey, I can play in this league, I belong, and maybe some minutes in a game situation that, Maybe not just the team that you're playing on, but other teams around the league could take a notice into you also.
2: Matt, do players look at the schedule this early or at all, or do they kind of take it, you know, uh, section by section once the season gets going?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, I, I have to be honest. As a player, when the schedule came out, I never even looked at it. I might take a look uh, <laughs> <laughs> if it was around the holiday and I had to buy some plane tickets for some family to come in town. But besides that, you know, listen, once you start the season – You got 82 games. You know, you could be in Sacramento, LA, Boston. It doesn't matter. You're on the road somewhere or you're at home. That's all that really matters in your mind or with your family's mind. So you really don't pay close attention. Since I've been out of the playing days, I take a closer look at it, like I said, because of scheduling things. But um, as a player, you know, it it doesn't really matter what city you're in or who you're playing. A game's a game, and you got to approach each one as a professional and be ready to go.
1: So speaking of what maybe players or teams care about the Hornets open on the road for the third straight year this is the first time that's happened since uh, 2008 through the 2010 season do teams like to start at home do teams care about starting at home or or does that not really matter either
0: yeah you know we usually I remember starting most times here in Charlotte with home games a home opener which was a legit season opener um ideally I'd like to be on uh be at home for that first game, just to kind of be in your own gym, sleep in your own bed. Uh, And it it depends if you're traveling much in the preseason. You know, you think when the Hornets are over in China, you know, that's a big deal. You want to get home and get some rest there. So that that can be pretty taxing. But, you know, overall, I don't think it really matters. You know, sometimes, you know, as a coach and, you know, within the team, in the locker room, you just got to paint a picture. If you're on the road, that's where you want to be. You know, you're going to say, hey, we're, we're going to be the, the road warriors and we're, we're, we're better on the road. No distractions out here. It's almost like training camp. Uh, but if you're home, then it's, hey, we're in our own bed. And so you just kind of paint the picture and mentally just want to tell yourself whether you're on on the road or at home, that's the best place to be at that moment.
2: Yeah, Matt, do, do, uh, you know, fans have already kind of circled the end of this schedule um, and the end of this season as a little bit of a tough run. I think based on being away from home, but historically, when Clifford's groups have closed the season, you know, and made the playoffs, they've closed out the season well. And and it's been sometimes you know slow out of the gates for these squads. Do you think it's better, you know, for this team to have their toughest portion uh, towards the end of the season when they've kind of had a chance to gel?
0: Uh, I would think so. You know, and, and you just said it. You look at how. You know, Clippers teams have gone through some good stretches late in the season and really, you know, poured it on around the all-star break uh, when things start to really click. You know, we have some new additions this year with Dwight Howard, our young guys, Dwayne Bacon, Malik Monk. So it's going to take some time to insert them. But overall, our, our core has been here for for, for, years at a time, which I think is important. So it's not a new system. You know, when I was playing, you know, I was here for over seven seasons and we had, I had five different coaches in seven seasons. So every, <laughs> every season you're opening up with the new offensive scheme, new defensive scheme, new everything, you know, terminology, but I think the consistency having some stability with Clifford here in Charlotte, uh, we'll get things going early. So I wouldn't be surprised if this team is, is ready to roll and gets, gets things clicking a lot earlier than maybe they have in the past, just because guys are comfortable. They're familiar with Clifford system. They know the terminology and you know what they're veterans too. You know, Kemba's, you know, when I was with him, he was a young guy. He was a rookie second year player. Same with MKG, but these guys now, Nick, but and they've been around for some years now, they're veteran players. You know, they know what to expect. They know how to handle this team as leaders in the locker room. So, I, I think they'd be ready to get on a roll earlier on than, than maybe later this season, even though the schedule does look a little bit tougher.
1: Here with Matt Carroll, Hornets color analyst for WFNZ and ambassador to the team. Uh, Matt, Charlotte will have three games on ESPN this season and five on NBA TV. First of all, help uh, David and I settle a little bit of a debate that we're having right now. How many total national TV games do the Hornets have this season? Is it three or eight? <laughs>
0: You know, I'm going to go with eight because eight sounds a (laughs) lot better. That's correct, Matt. So that's how we're going to do that because NBA TV is national, right? I think you can get that channel in most states of the country. So I'm going to say eight. I think it depends on who you talk to. But in my eyes, it is eight games.
1: All right. Well, in non-NBA TV, national TV games last season, the Hornets (laughs) went one. You can tell what side I'm on, Matt. Uh, The Hornets went one and two last season, losing close battles at home to the Spurs and the Warriors on ESPN. Close games were an issue for the Hornets all last season. What will they need to do to steal these type of games on the big stage this season?
0: Yeah, we had some tough losses. And if you look at the year before when we went to seven games in the playoffs against the Miami Heat, um, basically the games that year that, that we won, we pulled out a lot of close games. And I think defensively we were better that year than we were last year. Last year we had trouble getting stops when we needed them in the crunch time in the fourth quarter. You know, and our, our offense it, it wasn't really the problem. A lot of people said, you know, we just we need more offense, more firepower. But I think the more you talk to Clifford and the staff and you look closely at it, we just couldn't come up with those stops, you know. And maybe it's credit to teams getting better offensively in the NBA or that maybe they made timely shots. But we just didn't find ways to win those close ones. And I think it was defense, you know, which is surprising. But, you know, when I look at this team this year, a guy like Dwight Howard and, you know, players like Frank Kaminsky, Cody Zeller, who are, younger players but really developing and just you know as a defensive big in the NBA it's tough you know and you really have to be smart you have to know how to guard pick and rolls and you have to have good team chemistry you know you have to be able to read situations and help at certain times just because you know strengths and weaknesses of your you know teammates so i think the growth i think as i mentioned before the stability the chemistry is all going to play part to trying to get stops at the end of the game in the fourth quarter when it's when it's winning time really
2: yeah, that was such a big key last year, Matt. You're right. And you mentioned the continuity that this team has had kind of going from last year into this season. Um, but the big addition was obviously Dwight Howard, and they look for him to bring that defensive presence. And I think fans, you know, maybe they didn't watch him in Atlanta last year, uh, don't realize that yet he he again averaged a double-double, you know, that they made the playoffs. He's done that every year in his career. Um, so I think there's a lot to look forward to. But Is he the biggest question mark, you know, for this team going into the season? There's a lot to, you know, a lot of guys that need to bounce back. I think for them to be successful was Dwight Howard, how he integrates himself to this team, how they can work him in. Is that the biggest question mark?
0: Yeah, as far as question mark, I would say Dwight Howard is. You know, I think we know what Kemba can do. Kemba was absolutely fantastic last year. I mean, I think we've all seen Kemba kind of, you know, transform in front of our eyes as one of the elite point guards in the game. The way he's been able to take over games. Uh, Nick Batum's just solid, you know, is, is he, is he a max player? You know, you kind of look at the, the, the contract he signed, good timing for him, but you know, yep. he, he's a, he's a pass first player, you know, so he's going to take some criticism, you know, when you're making the salary, he is, and he's not putting up 30 points a night, but you know what, he has nights where he can do that, you know, but I think as far as working with Kemba and other scores. I'd love to play with a guy like that, you know, someone who's looking to set guys up and makes the smart decision, makes the extra pass. Uh, MKG, uh, I think you're going to see a better year out of him. You know, I think defensively is one of his strengths, and I think he really has to step up this year. And, you know, l- listen, we, we we his jump shot is what it is, you know, and he's, he'll mm-hmm. make shots when he gets that ball in his left hand and takes a dribble. He's pretty consistent going that way. So I think you just have to know your game kind of at this point. I think you're going to see Cody Zeller um, shooting the ball with more range this year. It it was amazing last year watching Cody Zeller, the impact he had on the Hornets. Just when he's in the game, the offense just flows. You know, he's a screener. He's more athletic than people give him credit for. He plays so hard, he runs the court, so he stretches things on offense. Um, And I think Frank Kaminsky, I think he's going to be a a, a very good three-point shooter. You know, we all know he can shoot threes now, but I think – as you grow in this league, as you get more reps up, more confidence, you know, your consistency is what changes. And I think he has the ability to be, you know, around a 40% three-point shooter if he's getting good open looks. Uh, but Dwight Howard, he is the question mark. And I think when you think about his relationship with Clifford, you guys have heard hey, Cliff with with him down in Orlando. They got a good relationship. That's part of the reason why he was here now. I, I think that has a lot to do with it. Because, you know, when you look at his stage of his career – Late in your career, it's about situations. And if you get to a spot, you know, he's not playing to make a couple of dollars anymore. His life's a little bit different than he was 10 years ago. So I think for him, if he's happy, if he's content, if he respects Cliff, if he likes his teammates, he's going to play hard every night. And that's what you want. And if he can do that, you mentioned he was a double double guy last year. He can easily do that this year. And if he gives us that and he's a rim protector, then I think we're in pretty good shape.
1: And Matt, it seems like they also really just want him to be a physical presence inside. And your experience playing with a a guy that has that physical presence underneath the rim or maybe playing against that type of player, how does that affect how a team plays? Because a lot of the questions that we're getting from listeners is how does inserting Dwight Howard into this team's makeup affect them on the court?
0: You know, it, it's, it's I think, the most important thing for us defensively. If you look last year, I can't tell you how many games where we just got beat behind a three-point line. And so you scratch your head and say, why is this happening? Well, it's happening because nobody on the perimeter can really get out there quick enough because we had to protect the paint. As perimeter players, they, had to, they couldn't gamble, they couldn't take any chances, they couldn't overextend. Because they had to protect the paint because we did not have a rim protector. Now with the rim protector, our perimeter guys can get out there. They can contest threes. They can gamble a little bit more. And it just gives more freedom to other guys on defense, especially in a perimeter, when you have that guy that you know has your back, that's going to be under the rim, blocking shots, picks up your guy if he gets by you. Because last year, we didn't have that. You're kind of playing safe. You know, you're you're protecting the paint. You don't want to give up layups or easy shots or high percentage shots. But you look at last year, this NBA, it's it's changing. The league is changing. Everybody can shoot threes now for the most part. And the three-pointer is what hurts a lot of teams. And that's last year where we got hurt on.
2: Yeah, Matt, um, somebody that the Hornets fans are excited to see is of Monk, who surprisingly, you know, we haven't gotten to see any of because he didn't play in summer league and um, just had the one year at Kentucky where he didn't play a lot on the ball. And a lot of people are wondering if, you know, the Hornets will try and work him in at all, you know, behind him in a backup point guard role. They, they're, I guess, on the verge of signing Julian Stone to that third point guard slot. Do you think they're going to ask um, Malik Monk to, you know, share any of those responsibilities, or is it more of just trying to get as many guys out there that can handle the ball and create as possible?
0: Yeah, I, listen, I think we drafted Malik Monk to be a scorer. Uh, now, if you look mm-hmm. at him, you know, size-wise, you know, he's not overly tall. Uh, he's about the size of most point guards, you know, in the NBA, uh, but he's super athletic. You know, he makes up for it with yeah. his length. You know, I, I think defensively he's going to be better than what people think. Maybe not right away once he kind of figures it out, but I think he has the athleticism and the length to be a really good defender. But hey, we want him to score, you know, we want him to be the guy that yeah. comes in a game and he's firing away from behind the arc and get to the rim and just an all out score. I mean, that would be great. You look at some of the great teams that have guys that come off the bench like him, that's what you want. But, you know, could he give Kemba a break? Could he play some point? Absolutely. But you, know, you look at the NBA, think of like Portland, you want know, Lillard, McCollum, you know, you have multiple guys that you can put in pick and rolls. And I don't even know whether he's a point, is he a two, is he a combo I don't know if that really means anything. It's about put him on the court. Can he play and pick and rolls? Can he create? Can he make things happen? And I think you're gonna see the ball in his hands quite a bit once he gets comfortable.
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting. This uh, this idea that maybe putting him on ball and asking him to create would take away a little bit of, of the 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 magic that they want him to bring. Uh, in terms of his scoring ability the, the one question I have about Monk right now is we know from that one year in Kentucky that he had the ability to knock down open shots contested shots shots on the move catch and shoot he was a taker and a maker at Kentucky but what challenges will he face to translate that into the NBA game and what will be the key leading up to the season in, in overcoming those challenges
0: well, I think number one, uh, when you get to the NBA, that the hardest thing and I can relate, you know, as a, as a wing player, as a shooter, uh, is just maintaining your aggressiveness and confidence. You know, when you when you're on an NBA roster and you're not playing, you know, 40 minutes a night like you could or, you know, in Kentucky is a little bit less, I guess. But, you know, you have to somehow, you know, deal with having inconsistent minutes. And when you come in the game, maybe you only get two shots in that quarter. But you got to have the confidence to take them and stay aggressive like you like you're getting maybe 15 or 20 shots a night like you did in college. And that's the challenge, I think, for a lot of young players, especially shooters and scorers, just that you're not getting the reps, you're not getting the opportunities that you did when, you know, if you're getting 20 shots a game, you're like, well, if I miss a couple, it's no big deal. But now when you're coming off the bench, if you miss your first, you know, three or four shots, then coach is thinking maybe he doesn't have it tonight. So can you play through those, you know, tough stretches, maintain your confidence, and still be the same person, you know, and same player that everyone, you know, knows you can be.
2: And Monk and fellow uh draft pick this year, uh, Dwayne Bacon, both both shot makers. And I felt like they were trying to address that a little bit, maybe take some of the weight off of Kemba and guys like Nick as well. But Don't you see the uh, the fire in those two young guys that they are both, I think, come from the same cloth and that they want to shoot the ball. They want to score a lot when they can.
0: Yeah, I definitely do. I think they're both shot makers. I think Bacon, you know, hasn't we haven't talked about him as much, but, uh, you know, he's got an NBA body. You know, I think he's got the Mm -hmm. strength to come right in and be ready to go. And he was impressive in the summer league, had some games where, you know, he made some tough shots I was impressed with. But I think we also wanted to upgrade our athleticism. You know, I think coming off the bench, you know, guys that can defend, guys that can be physical and still be shot makers. Yeah. Guys hear the term, you know, you know, threes and Ds, guys that can hit threes, guys that can really D up. You know, because when you're coming off the bench, you just don't want to drop off. Right. You want to maintain what the starters did and you don't want to have a drop off. And last year we had some drop offs just because of defensive reasons. And I think this year we can address that. And you have guys that can knock some shots down. You know, then you're in a pretty good situation.
1: Uh, last player, Matt, that I want to ask you about is Michael Carter-Williams. Uh, in his first meeting with the media, he talked about wanting to learn how to run a second unit. He will most likely be backing up Kimba Walker. Uh, early in his career, he got lots of experience running a first unit offense. What's, what's going to need to change? What will his focus need to be in order to effectively uh, uh, be a leader on that second unit?
0: I think just getting comfortable with his role, you know, I don't think it matters. First unit, second unit, he knows Kemba's the the starter, so there's not going to be any question there. But I think taking ownership and like, hey, this 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 is my group, you know, almost look at like a football team where you got your, your defense and your offense, and if he says, I got the second unit, I'm going to be a leader out here, Cliff's really good at, you know, instilling confidence in guys and really making sure they understand what their role is exactly. And as a coach, that's kind of what you want, someone that's going to tell you, hey, here's my role. I know every day coming into work, here's what I got to do. And I kind of look at him, you know, almost like a guy like Sean Livingston. Sean Livingston was a teammate of mine here in Charlotte. You guys probably remember. And, uh, you know, he's got the height. He's got the size. And I think he's similar in a lot of ways, even though people don't talk about it. But, you know, if he can develop a little post-up game, he got the length to shoot over players. uh, He's big. He's long. And just be solid, you know. Someone that you can count on each and every night to kind of run the show, to get some baskets, to set some guys up, and put some pressure defensively, and I think that's what we're looking for from him. And I think it was a pretty good pickup. You look at the price we got him for; um, I was happy with that signing.
1: Before we get you out of here, Matt, I just want to ask: we we've had uh, a lot of the the Hornets broadcasters in here before, and since it's your first time, I just want to know, like, what's your preparation uh, when you go into these games as a Hornets broadcaster? What do you do before the games to get to get ready to go?
0: You know, I kind of look a, a couple games ahead, you know, and so depending on what my schedule is going to be like that week will determine, you know, how many days ahead I'm doing my preparation. But for me, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, I like to, to watch, you know, games on film. So I'll go on my computer or go on TV and get a feel for the teams we're going to play against and just kind of their style and what players have been hot lately. And then I'll just read up, you know, recent articles that are coming out, maybe with, with their local beat writers, some ESPN stuff and NBA.com. And then I'll be ready to go. And, you know, fortunately for me, you know, what's been fun is a lot of guys in the league. I am I mean, I, I look a little different. My, my beer is getting a little bit gray, but it's, <laughs> all, it's only been about four years since You're I was playing. So a lot of these guys, you know, it's... Uh, i'm pretty familiar with you know as a player i was studying them i was guarding them so it's fun to talk about players that i actually prepared and played against myself so so that that helps a little bit also with the preparation
1: well listen i've got a couple of i got a couple of podcast recommendations for your preparation as well
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right that sounds good i'll be up for that
2: hey matt one last question for you any any thoughts about big three maybe next year
0: Oh, it's a great, you know, that's, it's funny. I see that. And I'm like, man, I got to get in that, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I come just, on. You could take Charles Oakley, right?
0: Well, I don't know about Oak, but <laughs> but Oak's coaches, Yeah, I'd rather have Oak on my side. Oak was actually an assistant coach with us here in Charlotte for a that's year. Right. So I got to know yep. Oak pretty well. And I actually bumped into him in a golf outing a few weeks ago. He, he's funny, man. But, uh, you know, I was talking to another friend of mine, uh, you guys remember Nazi Muhammad Oh and, yeah. uh, and yeah. Gerald Henderson. So both those guys still live in Charlotte. So you know we we talk quite a bit and get a chance to hang out. And uh, we were saying, hey man, all we need is a point guard. We'd we'll be good to hey, go. Hey, so,
1: Bobcats yeah. big three. I like it. Let's let's <laughs> let's, let's suit it you up. All right, up. Matt. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. We had a great time and, and great insight on uh, on everything from Dwight Howard to uh, this schedule that just came out. Matt Carroll, Hornets color analyst for WFNZ and ambassador to the team. Matt, thank you so much. You got it. All right, David. We're still live here on YouTube. Uh, some great stuff there from Matt Carroll. I especially like the, I especially like the uh, analysis on Michael Carter Williams being possibly a Sean Livingston type of player. And that was a guy that you and oh, I had man. talked about as a possible. You know, when it when it looked like maybe the Hornets would have a shot at using that full mid-level exception, Sean Livingston would be a guy they could target. And when that uh, you know didn't become a possibility, they had to move on to some other options. But Matt Carroll, who knows a, a little bit about Sean Livingston, having played with him, says that maybe Michael Carter Williams could be that same type of player. I think the key to that, though, is that Sean Livingston sort of fell out of love with his ability to shoot the three point shot and sort of learned his limitations and, and, be, and became weird, focused on defense. right but he learned his limitations and he learned his role and that's what matt talked about as well you know learning that role and learning what you what you are asked to do and and trying to to fill that need and so i think that's going to be key for michael carter williams this upcoming season
2: yeah think about how many times you're watching the warriors and you see livingston come in and just abuse you know particularly like a a uh a, a um, second unit point guard, or anyone who's checking him down low. I mean, using that height, which is the one thing that Michael Carter-Williams does have, that blends well, or that um, you know looks like uh, Livingston on that end. So, I mean, if he could develop that, Doug, if he could be able to be a guy that you could put in the post when they've got a mismatch down there, I mean, that would give them something they haven't had. I mean, geez, when when have they had a point guard that's been able to do that on this team since? I mean, we might have to go back to Sean Livingston and his Bobcat days, really. I mean, yeah, that would be huge. Anything he can give them above, you know, keeping the team level, right? Like, you know, functionally running offense. the offense. That's yeah. the minimum. Yeah. Yes.
1: Distributing and yeah. functionally running the second unit offense and, and making plays for other players would be something that they didn't necessarily have last season. So if he can do that, that's bare minimum, then they're already better off. And then if he can add mm-hmm. uh, some ability to score maybe on a runner or again, not falling in love with that three point shot necessarily, uh, but uh, finishing inside something that he he's oh, yeah. needs will need to get better at than he was last year in Chicago. Uh, yeah, those can definitely be, be big things. And then he also mentioned Dwight Howard, you know, late in his career, it's more about situation. I like that quote as well. Uh, that you know, yep. you're know you trying to find those right situations. Atlanta, I think he thought that would be the right situation, wasn't necessarily, and, and hopefully the Steve Clifford factor can make it because you heard him, David, how, how different the team is going to be, especially defensively, with a presence like Dwight Howard underneath.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, and, and he did say that was the biggest question mark, and I think that's certainly fair, and I think a lot of fans are looking at that. Uh, you know, just not knowing what to expect and maybe having different views of Dwight Howard, given the, the course his career has taken. But again, I mean, you lean, you go back to just the sheer numbers that he's put up and the consistency with which he's been able to produce. And you have to feel good about that addition. The other thing, Doug, I thought was interesting. When we were talking about Monk and Bacon. You know, I brought it up in, in the form of shot makers. But he, uh, Matt, mentioned something that we've talked about in the past. Adding these guys that are 3 and D guys that can guard multiple positions, they can knock down a shot uh, when they're presented the opportunity. Not something the Hornets had a lot of, particularly coming off the bench last year. And you see the teams, especially in the East, that are not named Cleveland. But even Cleveland, you know, they've got these guys that can run out there, handle the ball a little bit, create a little bit, do a little bit of everything, and guard multiple positions. Yeah, and it's that's all about versatility. To add. Yeah. Yep. And, that's, and that's exciting, I think, if you're a Hornets fan, because that's going to be a different look. Especially the depth that they have now, with uh, adding a few more guys that are able to do that,
1: and we got him on record about the the big three. That was a great question, you slide Devil. You heard it here first, you slide <laughs> Devil. That was amazing. Well, he, hey,
2: mentioned gray he mentioned the graybeards He mentioned the graybeards, and I was like, yeah, uh, there's places. you know where the graybeards are. They're in the, the the big three.
1: Well, I dropped the Oakley. Th- I don't I don't know if he was quite aware that Oakley actually he stepped onto the court in that last big three. Uh, so, well, uh, yeah. hopefully, I mean, Matt's, hit, hit you, you got to be guys. ready. You got to be ready for Oakley to step on the court at any time and devastate you. Uh, hey, kid, <laughs> uh, do you do you have time to talk about the schedule for a few minutes?
2: Yeah, of course.
1: Okay, let's run through this because uh, for some of the people that may not have joined us live on YouTube last night for our instant reaction. So the Hornets schedule revealed last night. The season opener will be October 18th at Detroit, as you heard in the interview third straight season they will be opening away from home the home opener is the next game october 20th versus the atlanta hawks and there's some storylines there david well two two straight games where you have dwight howard storylines first in detroit versus his old coach in orlando stan van gundy and then to come home and play the atlanta hawks dwight howard facing off against his hometown team and the team that traded him so listen the nba knows what they're doing this is, it's not even a conspiracy theory. This is, this is blatant Dwight Howard storyline, you know, star storyline playing here for the Hornets.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, they're, they're familiar with the storyline. They followed the the gossip columns in the offseason as well as anyone. So, you know um, I think that's intentional, but look at the matchups too, though, Doug. I mean um, you got Drummond, I think there in that first game. Yeah. Um, I think Atlanta, I mean, for Hornets fans, though, Atlanta, that should be a nice, <laughs> that's a nice way to start. your well, home, could, your, your, well, your it, yeah, season. I mean, early right.
1: on, it's either going to be vindication or, or it could be mm-hmm. a sign of trouble. So we'll get that indication yeah. early on. I know you were looking at some strength of schedule numbers from our friend, Jared Dubin, who hosts Locked On Knicks here on the Locked On Podcast ne- Network. How does this yeah. schedule stack up in terms of strength of schedule, you know, for the rest of the league?
2: So I think the the calves are have the weakest strength of schedule. Thirty out of thirty. The Suns, I believe, have the first. And the Hornets are almost smack dab in the middle, sixteenth in strength of schedule. So certainly manageable, Doug. I think certainly in the East you have to like that. And you know, for a team that like Matt Carroll mentioned has some consistency, was able to add some depth. If you're dealing with you know a uh, middle of the road schedule from a difficulty. Uh, standpoint, that's gotta be something you can look to build on. Of course. I mean, you know, Doug, I think in the NBA, that's a little more valid, like the NFL puts out their schedules and you try to shrink the schedule. You never know, like a lot can change. I feel like the NBA, it's a little easier to, you know, slot those with some, uh, some confidence. Don't you?
1: Yeah, and you have to factor in. I mean, like teams like Atlanta, and I think Jared Dubin actually inserts some some extra some extra zeros and ones to try to figure some of this out. But you've got teams like Atlanta and Indiana who were very good last season that may not be as good this season. So you can't necessarily go by their records last season. But I think you're right; it is a little easier in the NBA to figure out these these strength of schedule numbers. So I'm looking at the month by month, and they've got the second and third toughest schedule through December, second uh, on October and November and then the third toughest in December. But then the bottom falls out. January it's 23rd, February it's 19th, March the the cupcakeiest of the cupcake schedules, 30th in the league, and then April it ticks up just a bit to 26. So again, a Hello. lot of a, a lot of away games late, David, but a lot of but. opponents that should right. be uh, um, a little easier to to play against.
2: Yeah, exactly, and and we talked about that a little bit last night, um, breaking this down, just the amount of away games to close out the season, but it, as you mentioned, it balances balances out with the strength of schedule, especially that April stretch. I mean, their last couple games in April um, are, are fare very well for this team, and if they're going to close out with any success, um, that's a good run to have. I mean, Doug, think back to the last, is it three seasons going on now? I mean, nothing has been wrapped up until – it seems like almost this, at least the the last two weeks of the season, right? So it feels like it's always going to be there for the taking. And uh, that stretch bodes well for them, I think.
1: Yeah, and the big storylines from, oh, by the way, the Hornets get lucky. They, they miss that fourth game against, because every team gets uh, four games against each team in the Eastern Conference except four teams. And the four teams, the Hornets will not play four times. Two of those, Boston and Cleveland. So Hornets... Getting lucky there. They dodged that fourth game against Cleveland and Boston, who look to be the top two teams in the East. Uh, Some other news and notes from this schedule release. Of course, we talked about the back-to-backs down. uh, 14 total back-to-backs for the Hornets. That's down from 16 in 2016-17. The NBA starting the season a little earlier to reduce the number of back-to-backs. Zero total, four games in five nights. That's huge news. There were 20 total of those across the NBA last season. They've reduced that completely to zero by starting the schedule earlier. Now, in terms of back-to-backs, though, I don't think they can start the season any earlier, and they don't want to go later. So I think they've boxed themselves in a bit. Um, The technology has gotten better in terms of the scheduling computers to try to analyze this. But I don't, I don't know, David, what they can do except for reduce the number of games in order to reduce those back-to-backs further, and, and they want to do this because players are complaining about the, the stress on the body and uh, what these guys go through. So the NBA, though, they yeah, said they're going it. to look guess, to continue to do this.
2: I guess you could eat into the preseason a little more um yeah. you know, take some of those games out and, sure. and make those regular i mean you don't probably don't need all you don't you don't need all those preseason games um yeah i mean you look at for the hornets right they've got the, the february is their big back-to-back month they've got four um and i think more of those are on the road that month um but the start of the season you know there's only one in october of course a short season there but only five uh between november and december and i think they're at home for a good amount of those so that should bode well for everyone. I mean, I think everyone's going to take advantage of that. Um, you're right, though. It's like how the season starts in, in like less than two months. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy at this point.
1: Well, I know I'm excited. I'm ready for it. Let's go. Let's get preseason going. I know people don't like whoa, the preseason, whoa. and and we're going to get into that point where it's like, no. wait, is this preseason game actually airing on television? We get to do that whole fun thing. But I'm ready. I just I just want to see some Hornets basketball. I want to see how Dwight how because there are pieces in Dwight Howard and Malik Monk. That will fundamentally shift the way the Hornets play basketball. I don't think you could say that last season about the bench pieces that they added. So that's fun. Uh, One last thing. I just wanted to go through some of the toughest parts of the schedule um, for this season. So December 4th through the 23rd, they have 12 games in 20 days with no two days rest. And that was a big thing for Steve Clifford last year. They played 18 games in 30 days at one point without two days rest. And, and that's really tough. That extra day of rest, uh, we talked to Marvin Williams last season about it, really helps in the recovery, the recuperation, both mentally and physically. So players, teams, that they get to strategize. They get to do a little scouting that they wouldn't normally be able to do. They might get to practice, which they don't get to do a ton in the regular season. So that 2 days rest is very important. So December 4th through the 23rd, that's a stretch to look at. Nine of them are at home, though. Then uh, February 4th through the 9th, David, you mentioned that one. It's a four-game West Coast road trip. They have two traveling back-to-backs with a two-day rest in between. So that's like a four days and five nights kind of uh, mini. It's four four games Mm -hmm. and six nights, but it's two back-to-backs, really tough. Uh, February 22nd through the 28th, they have five games and seven nights. The Hornets will be rested off the All-Star break. So... You know they'll be ready to attack that stretch, but still five games in seven nights, very tough. And then finally, mid March they have a five-game road trip leading into a, a, a big stretch of games without that two days rest. They have five games in nine days uh, at one point: New Orleans, Atlanta, the Knicks, the Sixers, and the Nets. So again, they get all these away games late. I think that's the big storyline. They get home court advantage through the toughest part of their schedule and then late they have to play they have to travel a lot but it's the easier part of their schedule
2: and as we mentioned a little bit you know when they've closed out successfully these seasons they've played uh well late uh so i think that again is something that especially for our clipper team if they can get off to a hot start you know i mean and they don't have to (laughs) don't have to sprint to the end of the season that would be a nice a nice change too so um, having that consistency may help there, Doug. One little quirk for the MLK day game. They're playing on that again and again away for the second year in a row. They'll play the the opening game that day, 1230 at Detroit. And that is actually a day removed from a back-to-back weekend in Charlotte. So they'll have a Friday-Saturday game and then play an extra early game that Monday. So that doesn't always bode well for them. One little scheduling quirk there for the Hornets that didn't take benefit or didn't take advantage of um, you know, what the NBA was trying to do with spacing games out. But with as many teams as, game as they have, I guess you're going to have somebody at a bit of a disadvantage. And uh, the Hornets will just have to be get their coffee early that morning, Doug.
1: And they have four Sunday afternoon games with 1 p.m. start times. And we know the Hornets uh, oh. in previous seasons have had difficulties with those afternoon start times, as, as most teams do. But I did look this up, David. Yeah. The Hornets and the Panthers do not... Do not play in Charlotte on the same day. That's some. Sometimes you get that quirk in scheduling. It's not no no uh, Panthers Hornets doubleheader this season. They they do play on the same day a few times, but either the Hornets are away or the Panthers are away. No Hornets Panthers doubleheader in Charlotte for this season. Uh, are, you, yep. are you
2: okay? Are you okay with uh, the com- confirmation of eight national TV games?
1: Uh, I will never accept that. That is something uh, that I believe I uh, I, in my soul, not I, even my heart. It went past my heart and into I, my soul. And here's – and, and for the, can I just – let me say why I believe this. Because some people may not have watched the live show and they're listening to this podcast. Here's why I believe this. Number one, the NBA TV broadcast use the home team's regional broadcasters.
2: That's irrelevant. That's so not
1: ahead. a national – TV broadcasting team that's doing this. It's not an ESPN. There's no Van Gundy. There's no, uh, bam. There's nothing like that. Okay. Number two, the NBA studio well, shows. Mike Breen. Bah, <laughs> yeah, Mike, bam. That's that's bam. That's my Mike Breen. That's my oh. brain. Oh, wow. get off my brain. Bam. Uh, okay. So there's none of that. And secondly, you know, NBA TV the these studio shows I'm sorry the the, the ratings they're nothing they, they you know episodes help me out with these kids shows David Peppa the pig give me some more kids yeah. shows
2: um bubble guppies bubble guppies Jimmy.
1: they're killing this these NBA studio shows in the ratings
2: okay, but it's it's a nationally broadcast channel That's Thank really you the thank you. That's what I want
1: to call it. National. That's what I want to call it It's not a national TV game. Well, it is a nationally what it's a national audience. Well,
2: here's from the NBA notes and you may be able to 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 <laughs> take this. They're calling these marquee national TV games. Now, would you be okay with that? Not the NBA TV. But you know the the national proper. Oh my games, god! The marquee national TV game.
1: This is like the Nike uniform, sort of just They're advertising learning. Learning. speak. Yeah, this is not. We're that's not. not that you, doesn't not mean anything. Oh, marquee versus no, that doesn't mean it. Listen, national t- ESPN, TNT, ABC. Those are national uh, TV if, games because if, not every. If, that's if the if thing I'm too. In, not, look, you could have that you could have a cable subscription in some places and not get NBA TV. It's not even a given that NBA yeah, TV is in your cable no, 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 subscription.
2: It's not a given. Get out of here. But if I'm in, Ida- get if out I'm I'm in here. Idaho, if I'm in Idaho...
1: You're already I turn in on trouble. NBA Sorry, TV, Idaho.
2: If, if, I turn, if I turn on NBA TV in my Idaho bungalow, <laughs> and it's 1230 <laughs> Eastern time on Martin Luther King, I'm going to see the Hornets, and that's a national TV...
1: Bam! Do your do uh, what's your mic brain? Do your mic brain? Mike brain? Yeah. Bam!
2: <laughs> All
1: right, we got to get out of here. Thanks so much for tuning in live. If you watch this on YouTube, if you haven't, subscribe to us on YouTube. YouTube.com forward slash Locked On Hornets because you get notifications. If you have the mobile app, you get notifications on your phone about when we go live, and you'll hear live interviews first before you hear them on the podcast. Also, sign up for Patreon, patreon.com forward slash L-O-H. It's a way to support the local journalism that you love, this podcast that's just getting better and better every day because of your support and and your listens. Uh, So thank you so much. But Patreon is a great way To get content before anyone else, you'll get double entries into our ticket giveaways. And let me tell you right now, we are going to be doing some ticket giveaways. By the way, uh, quick note, single game tickets will go on sale beginning in late September. Fans can hit up Hornets.com for information about how to get tickets right now. Um, But if you want some free tickets, hit up Patreon.com forward slash L-O-H. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets because that's where we do most of these ticket giveaways. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Give us a five star review. Thanks so much for listening. For David and Doug, thanks to Matt Carroll for joining us. We'll see you next time here on Locked On Hornets. Let's swarm, Charlotte.
0: Rush into Old Navy today for up to 50% off store-wide. Get dresses from $15 for women, $12 for girls, plus up to 75% off clearance for the whole family right now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1016 to 1020, select styles only.